0: Happy Veterans Day. Welcome to the Asian American and Asian Research Institute's Friday Lecture Series. I'm Anthony Wong, program coordinator at Institute. Welcome all of you out on this uh, drizzly evening, right? <laughs> but uh once again reiterating, it's Happy Veterans Day. So, thank you to all the troops, uh you know, here and gone. Uh, we remember them today. Uh thank you very much for joining us uh, in person and also on Zoom, uh, folks who are uh online with us Uh, for our talk tonight by Katie Mae Porter and Greg Porter on their documentary, We Are American Soldiers. Uh, The film captures the stories of Chinese Americans who served this country during World War II, only to return home to face discrimination. Katie Mae Porter is an actor, filmmaker, engineer, and native New Yorker. She has a degree from MIT in chemical engineering with a minor in theater arts and has long since been uh, balancing both her left brain engineering and right brain creative worlds. As a second-generation Chinese-American, she finds a wonderful complexity in the American experience as lived by her family and friends. Uh, Her documentary, We Are American Soldiers, is a love letter to her grandparents, parents, family, and extended family, and all the immigrants who served and sacrificed for others. Uh, Her Instagram and Twitter is at actress. Engineer, A-C-T-R-E-S-S-I-N-G-I-N-E-E-R. Uh, Greg Porter. Uh, served as a combat cameraman in the U.S. Army from 1987 to 1991, producing training and documentary products and continues serving as a civilian producer and director, uh, camera operator, and manager for the U.S. Army, Department of Justice, and the Department of Defense for more than 24 years. Uh, During his long career, Greg produced numerous documentaries, including Victory Corps, a historical retrospective on the U.S. Army Corps' uh, Army's V Corps' 75 year history. Uh, the film was broadcast in Europe on American Forces Network Television and won the Army's Keith L. Ware Award for a Special Television Program. And Greg continues to support the service members and veterans managing service to the Armed Forces programs for the American Red Cross of Greater New York. Uh, please welcome Katie and Greg.
1: We really appreciate you for having us here, and thank you for everyone who braved the weather to come in and those who are joining us online. Uh, We thought we'd start by talking a little bit about the film before we showed it, just a little bit of how we got to where we got to, um, and some questions that we've been asked in the past when we've uh, presented uh, the film elsewhere. So this all really started as um, a family history project, really, just trying to understand more about where I came from what my roots are what my grandparents experiences were uh, because I quite honestly as uh, as a child I wasn't as interested in that right <laughs> it was more more about just living my life and then as I got older I realized that they had a lot of stories they didn't always share those stories and um, you know as I got more interested in where my family came from uh I wanted to really hear about what those first-hand experiences were, uh, especially knowing that as my, our grandparents were aging, uh, we wouldn't have as much of an opportunity to, to get some of that first-hand account. So this is where it really all started is trying to make sure we got those first-hand accounts, uh, and, um, it's always very challenging because sometimes they think there's nothing interesting to talk about. Our lives in China were not interesting. Why do you want to hear about that? Coming to America was not interesting. So um, There's a little bit of back and forth, but it's, it's so much richer having these exchanges of stories rather than um, a traditional genealogy project. Sure, you can kind of map, map back where the lineage is, but it doesn't give you as much information about how someone lived or what they experienced. And so that was the, the reason why we started this project. And also just recognizing that even um, what I had learned from my parents about what my grand, grandparents experienced is still another um, layer removed, so they don't have all the information. So I really wanted to just get that experience from my grandparents themselves. Um, but as I mentioned, uh, it could be really hard to get some of that information. And so some of the, uh, tricks that we use to, um, get some of those stories was to have someone outside the immediate family. Um, so, for me, for me, even though I did some of the uh, interviews, we also um, utilize my husband to ask him the question. And sometimes the, the reasons why is because it can be hard to share with a family member because it's a little too close. So uh, it's always nice to be able to have another person, if you can, to to help draw out the stories, because they may be more willing to share information with someone who's not as close to them, um, who they are, aren't as worried about the optics for the family. And then, um, like I said, the older generations can be very modest and think that um, there isn't any significance to what they've done, when really, I, I think there is a, a lot of struggles that uh, are, are overlooked. Um, the other thing we noticed, especially because we were focused on capturing my grandfather's experience in World War II, uh, is that they don't normally talk about these experiences unless they have someone who can, they can really share with. So vets open up to other vets. And the biggest difference we noticed is when Greg um, started getting involved in, in some of that interviewing because... He, as an army veteran, could then talk about our shared army experiences, even though you know different wars, different time frames, but th- there was still that sense of okay, we've been through a similar experience. And so um, that sense of shared experience was very helpful. And, and I think just even in um when we were talking to folks at the American Legion, they also kind of noticed that the World War II veterans talk more amongst each other than with the veterans of uh, some of the other conflicts. Um, what else would you like to add about that? No,
2: I think that's it. It's just, um, and you'll notice during the film, you'll hear Katie's voice. She asks a question, and her grandfather will go and start looking at me when he's answering the question. And so it's just kind of an interesting dynamic to, to watch um, as it plays out on film.
1: And then um, the the other thing that so we started by. By interviewing my grandfather and getting his stories. And as he was talking about all of his friends and his army buddies and, you know, people that I grew up with as my uncles, right? Everyone's an uncle. <laughs> um, we were, we were thinking that it would be helpful to also hear the stories from their perspectives. And so, um, what was also useful about that, especially because, uh, interviewing my grandfather later in his life, you know, wondering we're, we're talking about a time period that was many many years ago so you know how vivid are these memories how solid are they you know sometimes I can't even remember <laughs> what I had for breakfast last week uh, and so having the stories told from uh, different viewpoints different people helps us really piece together like what did this really look like in a time of history where I think uh, there's some information about where these units traveled and some of the experiences they had, but it's not very well documented. A lot of what you see in the diaspora is a lot of these firsthand accounts from people who have interviewed veterans trying to write down their stories rather than um, a, a cataloging of all of this information.
2: Yeah, military history. hmm
1: So it's all about piecing together the various clues. So... A lot of what we were focusing on was more of those personal aspects r- rather than, e- even though we were trying to piece together those clues on military history, we weren't necessarily looking at it from recreating history. We were more interested in that personal aspect, what their lives were like, what it felt like to be in those situations, what made them happy, like what, what did they enjoy doing, just who they were as people and as young men, um, you know, thinking mm-hmm. that I, myself, now I'm so much older than when my grandfather was in the Army and serving. It's it's a very surreal experience to think about that and to think about or to to watch how vivid some of these memories still are for, for these men who are talking about it.
2: Um, it's probably important, too, to note that you lost your other grandfather before you had a chance to talk to him. Yeah. Um, and her, her other grandfather, her paternal grandfather, had served in World War II in the European Theater. And so he went through from, from Normandy on um, with the U- U.S. Army at that point, but she never got the chance to have those, those discussions. So we really wanted to focus on KY while we could, while we had the opportunity.
1: Great. Right. Yeah, and, and he served in the China-Burma-India CBI Theater, so two very different parts of, of the war. Um, and Greg's grandfather also served in World War II, so we had a very sweet spot for really trying to understand what, what their lives are like.
2: All right. Yeah, so um, one of the things, and we briefly touched on this earlier, we talked about is memories... Aren't solid. Um, over time, our memories are lost. You know, I was in Iraq in 1991. I remember some of the names of some of the cities, but there are a lot of things which are gone. And I'm sure if I sat around with a group of people who I was with at the time, who I shared a tent with, we would probably come up with a lot more vivid stories. And so, one of the things that we find is um, it's oftentimes helpful to have another family member in the room, or somebody who was there, or somebody who was a part of that experience. To fact check in a way, and to sort of bounce those ideas and those memories off of to see whether they're whether they're they're real or not, whether they actually happened or whether they were remembered uh, appropriately. So go to the next. Um, I interviewed my my own grandmother when she was 92, um, and during the interview, you know, I was asking her what it was like being a woman in the 50s and something about driving the car to the grocery store or something. And she said, well, I, I didn't start driving a car in the 1950s. I was in, my, I was in my 50s before I started driving. And I thought that was weird. And my father was sitting over to the side, and he's like, no, no, that's not true. Um, and so we had a discussion, and, and, and she was adamant that she didn't drive until she was in her 50s because, according to her, my grandfather wouldn't let her. My father said, you used to pick me up from school in the car. And so it's just these different things where, you know, I'm certainly not going to argue with my grandmother as to what her <laughs> memories were, but, but it was nice to have validation or <laughs> um, what's the opposite of validation? This is the MIT person. What's the opposite of validation from my own father to say that wasn't exactly what happened?
1: So, um, but but switching to... The military side, so as we were capturing the personal side, we did want to try to have a better understanding of what those military experiences were, because that colored, you know, what they experienced. And, um, as we were piecing together, like asking my grandfather, you know, where, where were some of the countries that you were in? What were some of the cities that you were in? And he would be able to name a lot of them, but I think trying to figure out the order of how that all that happened that took some research because a lot of a lot of the stories he gave us were often fragmented and not necessarily in chronological order so um so what we did was uh looked at, at what we could find about uh, the order of battle that gave us some idea of how some of these troops traveled and you know they all, there were some different paths so you know it's probably not perfect information but we think that we were able to recreate it, at least a general trajectory of you know which city he landed in first and and some of that is corroborated by um the photographs that he had uh where where he was able to write down um months and years of when some of those photographs were taken so so that helped us piece that together a little bit but you could also say more about the order of battle
2: No it's fine you covered no, it Let's Okay
1: next one. <laughs> um so one of the things that we found, like this is very specifically, uh, he was part of the 14th Air Force. Uh, so at that time, it was the Army Air, Army Air Corps, um, 14th Air Force, and they supported the Flying Tigers, which I think is a pretty well-known uh, unit of the organization. And so um, this uh, Chinese Air Service Command, China Air Service Command, CAC, and, and those are the uh, squadrons that supported. Uh, that 14th Air Force um, in the CBI group. And then within that, uh, what's circled here in the center of the screen, that's the 407th Air Services Squadron, which is the specific unit that my grandfather was a part of. Um, So from what we understand, about 10% of all Chinese Americans that were in the military at the time were part of the 14th Air Service Group. And um within the 407th, about 45% of those are from California. I think a, a, a very high percentage were also from New York and, and then scattered around. Um, but what was interesting about World War II, uh, and specifically the Chinese Americans that were serving in World War II, is that uh, they were not segregated units in the same way that uh, Other racial groups had segregated units, uh, within, um, the armed forces at the time. However, these Chinese, the China Air Service Command, it was largely made up of Chinese Americans because of, uh, the mission in China, Burma, and India where they could interface with the locals a lot more easily because of common language, common, um, culture and, uh, but being able to blend in and, and help work with the civilians there so it was more of a strategic choice as opposed to saying we're going to separate you because we don't want you to integrate um, and, and as Greg mentioned my, my grandfather, my paternal grandfather who served in the European theater um, at, as a cook, he was in an integrated unit and my grandfather um, that we're going to talk about more here in this film, actually before he joined the 14th Air Force, he was in another unit that uh, was an engineering services unit that was also integrated. He was one of two Chinese in, in that unit before moving over to the 407th. So we thought we'd put this here just for reference if uh, a couple of different websites that, um, if folks are interested in learning more about history, again, the information on Chinese Americans in some of these, uh, it's not very plentiful, but you know, there are some things that can be pieced together, some photographs, but it, it actually was a little bit of a challenge when we were trying to figure out how do we round out the information that we have from all these interviews, we really had to, to dig around to figure out like how do we supplement this story um, of, of the people that we personally knew with the stories of some others. And part of the challenge with this is, is the loss of records.
2: Yeah, so um, my last job with Defense Department was basically <coughs> managing a record center. And it was the record center for all of the media that DOD creates out in the field, around the world. Um, And so I got to understand and learn records, records management, the National Archives, all that sort of thing. And one of the things that's interesting to note is the fire in 1973 destroyed 80% of the Army personnel records for anyone who served from 1912 to 1960. So you've got people who spent careers, who spent time in the military, who did a lot of different things. Their records are gone completely destroyed. Paper records are obviously very fragile. The fire destroyed them. Um, The same thing with the Air Force personnel records. Uh, Because, again, we're talking, this was a long time ago, digitization wasn't something that was going to happen, and there were no duplicate copies that were produced for these. So what that meant was the National Archives and the military services had to work to find some way to recreate Portions of records, as much as they could, so that those who served had something to document um, their time in the service. Didn't they have their own
1: copies of something?
3: Potentially, yes, did,
2: yeah. and we'll get to that. It's a great question. Yeah, yeah. so actually,
1: um, most, most times uh, you are given a copy of your discharge papers, and here is actually a copy of my, my grandfather's discharge orders. And um, so this is very useful because it lists all of the places that he traveled to. So you could see here, this was the grandfather that served in Europe. Uh, he was in Ardennes, Central Europe, Naples, Normandy, Northern France, Rhineland, Sicily. You could see um, any awards that that he won and his service dates. So when you have something like this, it's very, very helpful to understand a little bit about that picture. Um, unfortunately, though, a, um, a lot of people either didn't keep them or lost them along the way, and then, um, I think these days, you, you can go back to one of the sites that I mentioned and request, if the records on file, you, um, the veteran can request a copy of this, but as Greg mentioned, because so many of the World War II errors were lost, um, that information is not always there if the individual didn't keep a copy for themselves. Or uh, And so what you end up with is something like this, so this is my other grandfather who we did not have a personal copy of his discharge papers, but what you're able to search um, through the auxiliary personnel record that the um, National Records Administration has, Archives Records Administration has, uh, gives you not quite as complete information, but at least, you know, your service state, uh, what your general rank was, Um, so not great but at least it's something yep. so as we we got really lucky because um my grandfather had a camera in the field with him and especially you know in in the forties that's it was very rare and his father had the foresight to give him a camera and um for for those of you who are are with us today, I actually brought um, those pictures here, and you're welcome to take a look at them. So so we were really fortunate um, that we have these images from his collection to be able to help us tell that story. As I mentioned, like help us put together those dates and those places. Um, but uh, but outside of that, uh, a lot of the photos uh, and videos that we typically see today are documented as part of um, formal Army uh, activities.
2: Right. Yeah, so my job when I was a soldier was to document the activities in the field or in combat whatever it happens to be. Um, and you're essentially given an assignment to go out and document a specific unit or a specific operation that's happening. What you find in World War II is you didn't have a lot of folks being assigned to go document Chinese-American activities in the field. Um, fortunately, there was one unit, the 97th Signal Company, and they had Chinese-American photographers and motion picture folks. And so some of the material that they created we were able to locate at the National Archives and actually utilize for the film itself, bless you Um, but you know it's had we had to rely solely on that we wouldn't have had the materials necessary really to make this, so we were so lucky that that Kate's grandfather had the photographs
1: We wanted to show you an example of of some of the images we did find from um, the National Archives so this is is a photograph that we found. and um, what you'll see is that on the backs of these photographs and these very like this typeface description of um, who is in the picture and um, you know, where they're from and, and, and generally what's happening and you can see on the bottom that it was taken by the, the signal core.
2: So um, back to, to, like, looking for the documents themselves. Um, and you just saw the caption data that was available for those photographs. Most of that caption data still has not been digitized. And so the search for what you're looking for is really difficult, very time-consuming. It's like a needle in a haystack. Um, further, you know, a lot of the photographs, the way NARA has been working in the past is, unless the photograph has been requested for digitization for a usage, then it's not going to be digitized until it, the time comes. And so um, a lot of the documents that we were looking for, again, weren't even available online. And so we had to go to the National Archives in person and do the research um, and look at, honest, at regular photographs to try and find what we were looking for. Um, the other thing that's tricky is terminology and how it changes over time and just knowing what some of those keywords are, which may be utilized in a caption, so that you can find what you're looking for with the material, um, and you can see some of that up on the screen as well.
1: So here's another example of a, a photograph that we found in the Nara collection, and uh, you can see here on the back of that photograph the keywords, um, as Greg mentioned that. They're, they're not digitized. Some of them are even just scribbled in handwriting. You can see the word cavalry um, up the side of that photograph. So it really is like trying to piece together and understand how. what are some of these possible things to look at. And I'm sure we didn't uh, un- uncover everything that's possibly out there, just, just a handful of things in our searches. But um, when you go having to do this work physically, it, it is um, working with actual photographs so you have to use um, special gloves that they provide to you so that you don't damage the integrity of those original photographs and use their copy like their light stands uh, to ma- be able to protect the material mm-hmm. but since we were able to have um, personal photographs that might grandfather hand captioned (laughs) Uh, that that was very helpful and also understanding but like i said that that's pretty rare to to have Uh, luckily these days i think you know with facebook groups there are more people sharing what they do have or things that they've uncovered Uh, i definitely hear a lot of stories from people that uh, you know as as their parents pass away and they are going through things, they find this treasure trove uh, of pictures that they don't know what it all is, not what it all means. So, I think we we were very glad that we undertook this project to try to get some better understanding of these things while we could ask about it. Um, and then, um, as as we uh, go into the film, um, you know so we have a lot of hours of just raw interviews and raw footage and it it's um, the challenge of asking questions and not necessarily getting linear answers means that we have to do a lot of work to piece together, like what is the story that we wanted to tell about this and what is how, how do we make this something that um, resonates with us and what came up for us as we talked to my grandfather and my uncles is really um that they honored this sense of brotherhood. They honored this um this pride about the being shared experience. The, shari- the shared experience and serving their country. And and so to us it was important because uh, we know that oftentimes when um you have reflections of war it focuses on the tragedy, and and you know we, we don't want to um, to not honor the parts that were hard, also. But but we wanted to really focus on um, that piece that reflected the immigrant experience, but also just the pride they had in being with each other and, and supporting each other. But because of that. We have to leave things out because so not everything fits within that story. But we wanted to just sh- um, share a couple of clips that um, did not get into the film, but that you know, we thought were um, fun, re- like reflecting about exactly what kind of mischief they got into as an example.
4: When I joined in the uh, army at that time, training time and so forth, I act stupid because I told them I don't understand English. So I, I, like, I don't know anything. (laughs) So next day, the captain called me up there. Hey, how come when they put your name up for KP and you never show up? I look at them. I said, me don't know. (laughs) Then the captain told the sergeant, he doesn't speak English and he don't know. You have to excuse him and so forth. So those soldiers come in there. I said, God damn, uh, Mr. Wu, when, when they ask to, uh, anybody wants to go to town and uh, need a pass, you run in front. Everybody asks you to work. <laughs> to, you don't speak English. Yeah, <laughs> Yeah, smart man. Is <laughs> he, he really
1: to you? Uh, he is not. Oh, he okay. is not. But Does he just wait not too long ago. Yes, that's correct um but yeah, but we we thought it was fun that got into all this kind of mischief and we you know we learned a lot about other people's stories and being able to share our story, like I said, we didn't intend to make a f- a film out of this when we started, but um we did, and we submitted it to film festivals, and it was well received and we got to really talk to a lot of other people who had similar stories to tell or or who was able to say um you know." we we see this in our relatives and you know we couldn't get the stories out of them but this makes so much sense based on you know the little bits that we were able to hear and it may help them feel closer to their families or, or remind them of like the stories that they maybe have heard but didn't get a chance to capture for themselves so we were really grateful that we were able to help bring that shared experience to everyone else and then um at, in the middle of us putting this together that was a time, too, when there was a big effort to recognize our Chinese-American World War II veterans through uh, the recognition project and the gold medal, uh, which uh, was delayed because of COVID, of course, but thankfully finally had the ceremony in December in 2020. Um, Unfortunately, my grandfather passed away before the ceremony happened, but he was aware of all these efforts. And um, you know, we—I know—as family was very honored to be able to receive that coin on on his behalf, as were many other families. And so, I think we're we're just very grateful that there is this recognition now for our Chinese American veterans. Um, so, one last clip before we uh, jump into the actual film. Um, so this is my grandfather, K Y, and uh, you know this is a longer story that kind of gave us the idea for making this into a film, so that's why we wanted to share it because it it was sort of the impetus that turned this from just a family documentation project into like let's make a story so. When you went to uh,
5: different parts of China, did they treat you like a hero because you were American? Yeah, they all, they all respect the uh, Chinese soldier, no matter where we go. Any day place we go, the Chinese soldier cannot bother the, the American uh, soldier. I, in China, we have also have a pass, too. You go to a city, if the Chinese soldiers try to stop you and then you just show them uh, the pass, sometimes some of those guards say, I don't understand your pass. So we start too bad. Tell your commander. <laughs> One time I went out with my friend, uh, the guard stop us uh, he's, because he doesn't understand the pass. You know, he doesn't speak, uh, English. So he tries to stop us. And we yell. And our, uh, Americans, the soldiers, so next, next to them, he kind of, what's the matter? He's trying to stop us. Uh, so then, uh, he told him, hey, hey, you never, you can't stop the American soldier. No way. They, we, we have the, our own past. When they show you the past, if you, you don't understand, that's so bad. That, we, don't forget, we are American soldiers. So so from then on, they don't stop us anymore.
1: Anyway, we are happy to answer more questions. Yes, it, it is my maternal uh, grandfather's. So, so
6: was the past written in English
1: or Chinese or what? Uh, the past was in English because it, right. for yeah. But they, they were in China at the time, so the I guess, the, the native soldiers the who were... yeah soldiers didn't, yep. Yeah, yeah didn't, didn't have that understanding. But yeah, well, thank, thank you for that. And of course, we're happy to answer questions after the film as well. But I think um, we'll show you the, what happens when you put together all of this footage and photographs and everything else together and um, tell a story about um, brotherhood and love and service. I was raised American, growing up in the Bronx, speaking only English and loving baseball. My Chineseness always seemed to be in the background, almost an afterthought. It showed up in the food that I ate when I visited my grandparents, hung vows on Chinese New Year and banquet dinners, Buddha and a bowl full of oranges and another bowl full of candy sitting on top of grandma's TV, an old radio in the corner of my grandfather's laundry broadcasting the local Chinese station giving English lessons is this the way to chatham square i grew up in that laundry never once considering that my grandparents were living the typical immigrant life other than a few scattered pictures of my great-grandparents they never talked much about their life or family in china but one thing that was always prominent was a picture of my grandfather as a young american soldier in world war ii what must it have been like to have been among only a handful of Chinese trying to make their way in a new land against a backdrop of a world war, especially when we were at war with another Asian country. What must it feel like to be American enough to be drafted, but not American enough to get a job doing what you trained to do and risked your life to do on behalf of your country? And yet this opportunity is better than the place you left. Thanks for sharing.
6: Yeah.
1: Didn't
6: know a
1: lot about it. <laughs> she didn't need to tell pooh I went into buy and stole a lot of paper. Oh, that's so sweet. Katie?
5: That's yeah. great. That's a beautiful film. Uh, very touching. But how did, when you show Grandpa the film, what did he think?
1: Oh, yeah, we were very fortunate that we were, I mean, so like one of the goals was to finish the film while he could still watch it, Um, and when he first saw it, he had progressed a little bit in, in his memory loss at that time, but he still, I think, was very fascinated to see all these images and screen. Um, and we were able to do that viewing at the American Legion, so surrounded by all of his friends, which that was the first time that he saw it, which is really great. But th- there was this moment, which was fun, because we had this like gigantic screen where we projected it, and he looks up and he goes, "Where did you get all my pictures from?" Because <laughs> he recognized them as his photographs. So, uh, but yeah, he he seemed very touched uh, to be able to relive some some of. Some of those things
3: how, how long did it take all together to put that together so.
1: so let's see we had started some of the interviews probably in 2014 That's when we started some of the interviews, but again, like we hadn't intended to make a film with it initially. So then by the time we actually um, put it together, it was 2018. Uh, By the time we actually had gone to the records administration, pulled up the actual footage, pieced together all of that. So yeah, four years I guess from start to finish.
5: showing it anywhere else
1: going forward there any other? at the moment we don't have any plans to show it we do have it available on YouTube for those who want to see it other times we, we did wh- when we released the film back in 2018 we did do uh, the whole film festival circuit so we had gone to a number of different locations but yeah we don't have any other current plans but always happy to share the story with anyone interested
3: did you have any surprises as you were researching? Was there anything that jumped out about Chinese American soldiers serving in, a, in, a, in World War II?
1: Um, some of the surprises. Any, what,
3: yeah, anything that made you go, yeah. wow, I did, this is incredible.
1: I think uh, we, we were able to capture one of those stories about like, talking about how they had to go behind enemy lines. And uh, I mean, again, you, you kind of have that general sense of that's what happens during war, but it feels a little different when it's like, oh my God, it was someone I know. Um, I I think the surprises for me were, again, just more of like how he told some of these stories, just like because they were so far back, he can laugh about them. But I'm just sitting here thinking like, this is pretty serious, That all these things that he's talking about. <laughs> um, so it was surprising to me that he was able to have, have these as pleasant memories and not, as, you know, not, well, at least I, I don't know what he was thinking, but at least it didn't feel like it was overly traumatic, but it just something that happened to him. That, that was kind of the surprising part to me. What, did, what were you surprised I think at?
2: I was surprised that, that at that time, segregation was a thing. You know, and yet the Chinese Americans somehow weren't segregated, which I, I didn't realize that that was the case. Um, I knew that we had Chinese American units, and I figured it was a segregation deal, but I, it, it wasn't. So it was interesting to me. Um, H- having served, what what were your thoughts? Did you
3: come across any um, personal experiences dealing with uh, Chinese American or Asian American soldiers while you were in
2: the service? Not that I recall you um, yeah, I mean there were there were a few there weren't a lot of Asian Americans that I remember being you know when i was when I was serving, um, but you know you may or may not believe this, but I mean honestly, when you're in uniform, most of the time, everybody's green, right, yes. and so there's not a lot of uh, of color seen, and so you know you're sharing a foxhole with somebody it doesn't really matter what color they are, we're in the same uniform, we're going to protect each other, um, but yeah, I don't recall. I really don't recall um, anything the, the, different. That picture
3: of the 14th Air Force with all of the Chinese American soldiers, was I, when I saw it I couldn't believe it because I had never seen, I, I served as well mm-hmm. and I, that was just something I've never seen before. Yeah. And just seeing all the smiling faces all together, I was, that's incredible. That's. I want to. I want
1: to try to get a copy of that picture if I can. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I'm amazed. I got them all together to sit for their picture too.
2: <laughs> the interesting thing was all the officers were white. Ah. So they had a they had a Chinese American doctor that he talked about during one of the interviews. Um, but other than that, the leadership, the, the the officer leadership was was white people. Right. So interesting. Yeah. Yeah, I, th-
3: I think um, back then the, uh, the the Asian soldiers were kind of not 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 segregated like like the uh, other people of color were, but, but they were kind of pigeonholed into certain types of um, jobs, sure. I se, say, right? Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, so, yeah. yeah. Yeah, like my other grandfather, for instance, was a cook also. Yeah, yeah, yeah. very um, typical. So, so yeah, it, it was interesting that they got to do a lot of these other jobs. Yeah, it,
3: um I'm sorry to
0: monopolize.
3: <laughs> <laughs> I was waiting for other people to
6: ask questions. I have t- a ton of questions. Okay. But my only key question about yeah. that, this yeah. film is are there any Chinese American Legion posts on the West Coast?
1: hmm Yep, there are. Um yeah, there's there's one in LA's Chinatown as well that's also predominantly Chinese American. I think it was the
6: Japanese one in San
2: Francisco. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, there, there's a in a San Francisco Chinatown as well. I, I don't. I don't know if they're just um, if they're predominantly
2: Chinese. I think they are. Yeah. We went there. I went. there. Oh, you went there. So yeah, <laughs> yeah. So it was predominantly Chinese. Yep. Yeah.
1: Yeah, so it's major major Chinatown cities, have there.
3: How how big is the one in Flushing?
1: Uh, it's actually in in Manhattan.
3: Right, the Chinatown one, but is there an American Legion in Flushing? Oh, that I don't, don't know. know. Okay, a lot of them have consolidated. Oh, okay, yeah. it's like,
6: uh, like say the um, the Lions Club and all that. Yes, that they've all consolidated yeah. over the last 30 years because they can't get members. Uh, so, broader region of Queens. Yeah, yeah well, basically they're <coughs> really in each other. Uh, it's like the um, Elks Club. Those idiots didn't pay their taxes and they lost their building mm-hmm. on Queens Boulevard. If you go to Queens Boulevard, they got that big elk. Mm-hmm. That's the old Elf Club. They didn't pay their taxes, so a Korean Evangelical church took them over. Mm-hmm. And the deal when they sold the was they kept the little um, pool house as the Elves Club. And they just basically covered the pool house so they have stuff going. Mm-hmm. But a lot of those clubs all over the place that old men used to belong to, the Shriners, etc., of the last 30 years they've consolidated I and mean, they basically took like Queens and said we'll put you with Long Island and then merge you with Brooklyn and then mm-hmm. maybe Connecticut
3: mm-hmm.
6: because people don't think there's anything for them to do and the problem with the veterans like uh, the producer knows here is there's a conflict among the older and the younger right. so you see an American Legion post only as these people the VFW does that now they have what's the Iraq Afghanistan what, what do they call that group because my niece belongs to it what, the the group itself, the era? No, no, no. There's a organization for Iraq and Afghanistan veterans. Okay. And they sort of like broke away and they have their own like organization. Yeah. Which is totally stupid because you really need the old timers to get the young people to work together on the issues they need because at the end of the day, you're a veteran. You're a veteran. Mm-hmm. They're never going to fix the VA, mm-hmm. after like hundred years. <laughs> like, come on, guys. Because <laughs> I'm offended by when people meet you and they say. Thank you for your service. And politicians drag you out on Memorial Day, July Fourth, and Veterans Day, and they ignore you for 362 days a year. That's a little bit more serious. We're going to send you off to war. We better then we'll support you until your old age. Yeah. Sure.
0: Yeah.
2: Do we have any questions online?
0: Yeah, there's an online question, but I think it was kind of touched upon. But maybe for like more present time, like, they want to know about back the then, your grandfather's time. How were American soldiers, treat, no, Chinese American soldiers treated by other American
3: soldiers? Like we
1: uh, didn't have to example <clears> inside that film; yeah. they couldn't cross the border, right? Right. There, there is that. There is also, uh, I, I think um, they. My understanding is there, there was some challenges and discrimination. Also, my grandfather tells a story about. Um, the first unit that he was a part of that the engineer outfit that he was part of and he was one of two chinese americans serving in that unit and uh his english was a lot better than um than the other which and i think that i think part of why he wanted to join the all chinese american unit was because the two of them felt uncomfortable in the other unit and so um the story he tells is when he asked for that transfer. Uh, basically, the leadership said allowed him to go as long as they took the other guy with him, right? Because they didn't didn't want to deal with the the Chinese. Guys. Right. Yep. Uh So, there. Again, I I think we're inferring about some of his experiences based on what he would say and wouldn't say, just you know, about body language and also just having known my grandfather because he as uh, didn't want to. Uh, or he always downplayed right the experience and how how hard it was, so i I think I took away from it that it probably wasn't a, the greatest welcoming experience until he was with others, and then at least with others you know they they had a common language but it's it also sounded like there was uh a lot of hardship just how well i mean I'm sure any soldier has that right there's a lot of field conditions that they had to deal with he talked about you know, sleeping on these straw mats that were, like, very close to the ground and very uncomfortable Um, and having little to be able to do out in these foreign countries sometimes and support. What else do you remember him talking about?
2: Uh, The one thing I remember him talking about was when they were with the Chinese-American unit in China, traveling from place to place, and the American, the white Caucasian officers were upset that they had to eat Chinese food all the time. Right. And the Chinese guys are like, "Hey, we're going to eat Chinese food." And they had a Chinese doctor who was a captain, and he told the the other officers, he says, "We're in China. We're going to eat Chinese food. If you don't like it, you can eat the egg." So I guess there was an egg <laughs> yeah. on top that's of the food. So <laughs> rice and egg. <laughs> yeah. I have another question. Uh,
6: that.
2: Group was really big that,
3: like you say, he joined because you know we're all the same kind, same color. But when they were in China,
1: went to Kunming and all those places where the hump was, they spoke different dialects. So what did they speak over there? You know what I'm saying? That's a great was question.
4: It really hard, it's not easy.
2: Yeah, yeah. I, I would, I would expect that they probably didn't speak the same dialect. But right. you know, yeah. what, what do the what do the Caucasians know? You know, <laughs> we'll put them all over there; they can yeah. speak that language. Um, but yeah, I think you're probably right in a lot of respects.
1: I mean, cer- certainly, all of you know the the people that I knew were all like Right. so
3: when you were doing your research was that was it really hard to find a material background because I've searched myself and I've seen very very little written about you know Asian Americans uh, in the military yeah uh, like how, how difficult was it to get material
1: it, it was a, a lot of what we found ended up being written accounts of um Someone else interviewing uh, other veterans, and so having to read through some of those interviews or some of those summaries of interviews, and again, piecing everybody's individual experiences together to try to create this common picture, based on what we read, and you know, based on talking to uh, other veterans and you know, Greg, Greg's experiences to kind of say like, yeah, this this makes sense in the context, um, but. But like we said, it was very difficult to find anything that was written, like a history book would be written, that that gives that information. Um,
2: there was a lot. Of, there were a lot of books, obviously, about the Flying Tigers. Yes. Yeah. Definitely. There were books about the 407th in a way, um, but they really didn't get in depth into the life experiences, let's say, of, of the, the the soldiers who were living there.
1: It was more like a strategy, like still like was you know, like going, yeah, like, exactly. About the, the, um the political meetings that were happening in the region. So it was for all from that perspective and not necessarily about the 407th or that particular. Like, there's a little bit about, like, why it was created, um, just, just that overall context. But.
6: There's a doc out there about the Japanese unit that served in Europe. Of course,
3: the 440. exactly. Uh, four four you okay. know them never than me. <laughs> yeah, i seen the doc many years ago. Yeah, definitely. Um, I was going to ask also... Um, oral histories Mm -hmm. is there would you do you have any motivation or thoughts about collecting oral histories from Asian American veterans especially the ones that are uh, older now and and the World War II
1: yeah there's actually a couple of different um, projects that are uh, trying to do that like both so there's um, I think Chinatown I know has an oral history project that's not just limited to veterans, but I think any um, anyone who wants to just document some of their personal history. But there's also, I think, specific. Um, I'm trying to remember the name of the organization now that was Library of
2: Congress. Library
1: of Congress. Thank you. Yeah. Um That was it is documenting um, anything. So not just the oral histories, but any artifacts also uh, to to try to capture any any of these pieces and have them um, create a display for that.
2: It'll be maintained by the Library of Congress forever. But, yeah, but, mm-hmm. yeah, but it, it's the Veteran History Project, and it's it's happening right now. And the Chinese Museum in America, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
6: they're doing a really big push now because they had that massive fire. Right. So they're trying to reach out to the children to go to the elders and say, hey, you're still alive. We need to rebuild our art practice can you please
4: give it to it now
1: instead of waiting? Yeah, and that's hard, because I know going through my grandparents' things, they didn't think anything was sentimental, and they didn't think anything was of value. And we're like, oh, no, this is really, it is really interesting. What did your grandmother
3: think of the
1: film? <laughs> she, yeah, I think she was um, surprised. I, I don't think she understood what we were putting together but yeah i think it was great for her to to see all that um by the time we had finished putting the film together um, uncle johnny had passed away from when we interviewed him to when we put the film together and so i think there was just a a lot of nice memories and in being able to kind of see that history being lived but but i think kind of kind of like i said she's just like why do you care about this <laughs> <laughs> it's just like a very they funny reaction, yeah,
4: yeah. I
3: think that shared service in general is just so important because it doesn't matter what color you are, but then to actually mm-hmm. be in a, a subgroup within that to be as tight as they were, probably yeah, it's just pretty incredible. Yeah,
1: yeah. That's, and that's what really set out to us about all of that.
2: Well, and that same, that same. Strength uh, was was so apparent at the, at the Legion in Chinatown. You know, I'm not sure if you've gone or I have not, and but I will. Yeah, I want
3: to take a picture of that
2: wall. Yeah, with all <laughs> the names on it. Yeah, it's great, and and they were, look, I mean, they served together at this point. It was fifty something, sixty years prior, but they were still really,
0: really tight, um, and it was great to see. So, thank you.
4: Thank you for thank having you. us.